0: Several, several years ago, I had an intern, and this intern, um, he had a tendency to get on my nerves a little bit. Um, I would explain things to him, and it was like, it just didn't register in his mind what I was saying. And so there was this one day, I'd ask him to go drive across town to get something for me, and you have to understand that Cleburne, Texas, where I was a youth minister, is not a big city. There are two main roads. That's it. There's Henderson and then there is what was the other one? Huh? I don't there's I don't even remember the name of it. So I would be mad at myself right now. But anyway, I, I tell him here's how you go there and he didn't have the the technology to look it up on his phone and get directions or the intelligence. I... Let's pray. Thank you. Um but I was explaining to him how to get across town to get something that I needed picked up. And so he calls me about 15, 20 minutes later, and he says, Hey, Gary, I'm going over here to get this and get it for you, and da-da-da-da. And I don't know where this place is. And so he starts explaining where I am, and I'm like, You're in, This is the entire wrong side of town. And so I start explaining it to him. You need to go this way, and you need to turn right, and you take a left, and it's right there. It's a big building. It looks like this. There's a big neon sign. Okay, we hang up. About 15 minutes later, I get a phone call back. Hey, Gary, I am da-da-da-da-da. Oh, goodness. So I start explaining it again. And after I get off the phone, my secretary, Lisa Joe calls me in her office, and she goes, hey, come here. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you told him the exact same thing you told him the first time except only slower and louder. You just repeated yourself. You didn't tell them a different way or anything. You just repeated yourself, and it was slower and louder. Because clearly I was getting angry and frustrated and so louder and slower. At times, I I wonder if that's not the message (laughs) kind of that God is trying to convey to us. He starts in the very beginning talking about a love that he has for his creation. And I think we struggle at times to grasp the depths of it. Where it's almost that God just decides he needs to start speaking louder and slower. To make sure we fully grasp what he is trying to say. Because you'll hear people talk at different times and say things, well, you know, the God in the Old Testament is is angry and, and wrathful, and the God in the New Testament is love, and there's this separation or this divide. But I think what's very obvious is that God's love for his creation knows no ends. And he continues through the story of the Bible to say it, louder and slower so hopefully we will grasp what he is trying to say so in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said let there be light the Bible begins with God creating the world by his word God speaks into nothingness and now there is light. God speaks and a world is formed and a world is created that was not there before. The ancient rabbi said in the beginning God separated the light from the darkness and the rest of the Bible is God teaching his people how to separate the light from the darkness. And so God takes his creation and he puts it in the garden. And he says the Lord took God, or the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. They had this responsibility. They had this home. They had this place that they were going to belong, where they were going to live, where they were going to stay. And they had this responsibility to work the ground and to take care of it. And he puts in this garden this tree and he tells them don't eat of it because if you eat, you're going to die. And man and woman, they go down that path. And they find out that death is imminent. And maybe one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. There there is this relationship that man has with God where they walk together, where they talk together. They have this relationship. And when sin enters the world and death along with it, the response is now we need to hide from God. We we can't be with him. We, We don't want him to see. And that place where the vulnerability was able to flow was now cut off. And then the story takes a turn. Because man and woman are put outside of the garden to the east of the garden. And they begin this march, and outside of the garden, Cain kills his brother Abel. And creation starts to go. And then there's this verse where Lamech is talking. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Lamech says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Where things and sin and revenge is escalating and growing and growing and growing and increasing. And the world is going in the wrong direction. It's all going east of Eden. And this phrase keeps appearing over and over and over on the outside of the garden. So Cain... Comes along and Cain went out of the Lord's presence and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And east of Eden is this idea away from the presence of God. As Abraham and Lot look at Sodom and Gomorrah, it's east. There's this continual movement east of Eden, away from God's presence. And see, the understanding outside of the garden, if the garden was the place where God walked and now man is put outside of the garden, then it's impossible for man to walk with God. That that cannot happen anymore. Because God is in the garden and man has found themselves on the outside of the garden. But then in this genealogy that happens in chapter 5, there is a powerful, powerful statement that we miss the significance of. It says, Enoch faithfully walked with God and then was no more? How is it that if God is in the garden and man finds himself on the outside of the garden looking in, how is it possible for Enoch to walk with God? And We've talked about this a little bit before. But there's really only two possibilities. One, either man was invited back into the garden. Or two, God left the garden to pursue man. God left the garden to pursue the creation he loved. To watch over it. To care for it. To take care of man. And I think the message that we get so loud and clear that God is continually trying to say over and over and over, louder and slower, is this. The word perfectly pointed to Jesus. And Jesus perfectly revealed the Father. Jesus is what God had to say. What, what do I want my creation to know? I'm going to say it all through Jesus. And then as man continues this march, God is continually calling his people back to him. In 2nd Chronicles chapter 7, he says this, "If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. As creation continues to move in the opposite direction. Continues to move east of Eden. God is continually calling them back. Come come back to me. And the word that appears in the New Testament is repent. Come back to me come back and if you will come back i will forgive you and i will heal your land i will restore Salome. i will restore peace and as god tries to say it slower and louder so that we get a better picture of what he's trying to say john in his gospel i think picks up on it so beautifully he says the true light that gives light to everyone that was coming into gives light to everyone was coming into the world of God. And the Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's like there's no louder, slower way than He can say it, than to just sending His Son into the middle of the chaos, into the middle of the mess, and saying, here I am. God literally becomes man. He puts on flesh and blood, and he moves into our world. And then, maybe the place where everything slows down even more, it's said louder and slower than maybe any other place in Scripture. Beginning in Luke chapter 23, a large number of people followed him including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when they will say, Blessed are the childless women whose wombs have never borne and the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us. Into to the hills cover us. For if the people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? So this is kind of an obscure passage where Jesus begins by saying, Don't weep for me. Don't, don't shed tears. And then he picks up on some themes and some passages from the Old Testament. So why does Jesus say this? Why does he look at these women who are standing around that he loves so dearly and say, don't weep for me. Don't cry. What is happening? So one, the end is near for Jesus. He's on a cross. He's in pain. And the story through the end of Luke is these storm clouds that have gathered over Jerusalem. And now are gathered over Jesus' head. And these things that he's been talking about and prophesying about are finally coming to fulfillment. Things that have been talked about for thousands of years. And so Jesus reaches back into the Old Testament. He he really borrows from a couple of places. The first is in Isaiah chapter 2. said, people will flee into caves and rocks and the holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord in the splendor of his majesty, when he rises to shake the earth. So this idea that people are going to be running, there's a day where the end is coming near that Isaiah speaks of. But then the passage he really dives into is found in the book of Hosea. And Hosea, if you don't know, is a story of a prophet who God tells, I want you to go and marry this prostitute. Because I want it to be representative of the relationship that I have with Israel. Because Israel has become someone who constantly seeks after a prostitute to me. They're constantly prostituting themselves and and leaving themselves, chasing after other gods, going east, continuing this march, continuing this move away from my presence. And so to Hosea, he says this, "The The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It is the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. They will say now to the they will say to the mountains cover us. Into the hills fall on us. This this movement away from God's presence where people are begging for the end to come. They're begging for the end to come. So why does Jesus quote from here in Isaiah, and from Hosea. Why, why this sense of hopelessness? Because what, what Jesus sees is there's this problem in the world. And the problem is sin. Sin is the only problem. And so many times we talk about sin, and um, sin kind of carries some baggage with it today. But I want to talk for just a second about sin and why sin is such a big deal. And to do that, I want to invite a couple of friends back to the stage from a few weeks ago. Y'all remember our friends? Yes, yes. So every relationship... There are several parties involved, three in fact. There's the relationship that you have with God, there's the relationship the other person has with God, and there's the relationship you have with the other person. And what sin literally is, it's looking at creation, it's taking creation, the creation that man was put into the garden to work and take care of and move in a good direction. It's taking creation and moving it in a direction that it was not designed to go using it for a purpose it was not intended to be used for. Like plain and simple, that's what sin is. And ultimately what sin does is sin comes along and it breaks down, one, this relationship between man and God, but it also breaks down this relationship between man and man. This relationship, this harmony that was there is now broken. And the relationship... That was with God, and man has broken the relationship here in this space between that we talked about a few weeks ago. And if you remember back to that series talking about intimacy, and now talking about forgiveness, understand the series are not that different. We've really been talking about the same thing. The The same thing that enters into this space between and fills this space between is sin. Sin breaks down the relationship between man and God. And sin breaks down the relationship between man and man. It fractures it. So Jesus comes along and he talks about the greatest commandment. He says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And these relationships that are broken down and fractured, sin always, and we've said this several times, sin always affects your relationship with other people. And so God says... The the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says all of the law, all of the prophets, everything we've been saying, everything we've been teaching hinges on these two ideas, on these two laws. These, These are the greatest. Love God with all you are and all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And when we fail to do that, this relationship is broken here and this relationship is broken here. Sin is the only problem. Sin is the movement away from the presence of God. Sin is the only problem. And so Jesus says, don't weep for me. Don't weep for me and don't don't cry, don't mourn over what's going. Because ultimately you see, you're weeping because you see a dead man walking. You see someone sentenced to death and condemned to die, a man facing the full weight of the consequences of sins. That's what you see in me on the cross. And the reason he says don't weep for me is because he says you're in the same boat. You're, You're in the same place that I am. Condemned to die under the weight of sin and the curse that came with it which is death. And and so many people are like, well, what's the big deal with sin? Sin breaks down the relationship with God, and it breaks down the relationship with man, and it fractures us. It puts us in that place where Jesus is in that moment, on a cross. He says, you're going to come to this place in your life where you're begging for the hills and the mountains to fall on you, to cover you. Because you realize, a Christian, I think a Christian is someone who realizes the weight of their sin and what it does to God's good creation, and is able to weep over their own sinfulness. Now, I'll just tell you, that gets harder and harder to do. I think we become so complacent, we become so comfortable with sin, we become so comfortable living in it, that we don't realize the weight of it. And maybe no better place does God reveal the weight of it than these scenes of the crucifixion. Through these powerful words that Jesus speaks from the prophets of the past, saying, all of this is coming to an end. And in this feeling, this feeling of hopelessness, like, "What, what are we gonna do? God says louder and slower that sin is the only problem you have. And the only solution is forgiveness. The only way to restore this relationship that was broken down is for forgiveness, to enter the picture. Someone has to forgive. Someone has to let go of the debt. Otherwise, the relationship that was fractured cannot be restored. A few weeks ago, um, my daughter Kaylee was walking through the living room like this, and she sees me coming, and she turns and puts her back up against the wall like this and starts walking down the wall. And I said, Kaylee, do you have something in your hands? Kaylee, do you have something in your hands? and she has two bottles of fingernail polish (laughs) that she was trying to get someone in our house to paint her fingernails. And I said, Kaylee, what are you doing with them? And the very first words out of her mouth, but Caleb, I I didn't need to hear more. I I, I don't want to know why Caleb is involved in this. I just want to know why you have the fingernail polish. I think when it comes to sin, we're so much like Adam and Eve, hiding in the garden from the presence of God. Do you have blood on your hands? Maybe a little. But what about them? As followers of Jesus, we have to be able to look at our life and see that every one of us has taken creation in the direction that it was not supposed to go. Every one of us has continued this march east of Eden. And God calls you back just as he did through the prophet Isaiah and so many other prophets, Hosea, calling his people back, repent, turn, find forgiveness, find healing for your land. See, one thing I'm, I'm certain of. You can clearly see the brokenness of our world around you. And what I, I think that we lose sight of is that every single one of us has been a part and contributed to that brokenness. And every one of us have been separated and fractured from one another, but more importantly, we've all been fractured in our relationship with God. And the only way for that to be restored, the only way for this to find new life is for someone to step in and forgive. For someone to say, you are set free from your past and all that you held on to. So here's where it gets really loud and really slow. But it gets really loud not with shouts. It gets really loud with a beautiful, beautiful picture. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers came up and they mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Save yourself. If you are, come down. If you are God's Messiah. If you are Savior of the world, come down from the cross and save yourself and the thing they don't realize is their only hope is if he stays there because if he does not stay there you are dead in your sins if he doesn't stay there this relationship does not get restored Because what Jesus ultimately does, he takes on the full weight of sin upon himself. The one who was sinless, the one who committed no wrongs, he takes the full weight of sin upon himself and he simply says, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. If sin is the only problem, then forgiveness is the only solution. And Jesus' initial reaction to sin is to forgive it to say, I'm not going to hold you to it anymore. And so many times we have people who struggle with faith because they don't see God showing up in the way they expected him to show up. They don't see God coming into their world, entering into their brokenness, and saying, Father, forgive. The whole time failing to realize that we are the reason for the brokenness. Here's how I expect it to work. God, come down from there. Speak a word. And let everything start over. Instead, he stays there. And he speaks maybe the most powerful, loudest words of all. Father, forgive them. And John and Matthew's light on a hill a light that was cast into the darkness for everyone to see is there on display on top of the hill outside the city for everyone to see and everyone to hear father forgive them they don't know what they're doing maybe the reason that you and I struggle so much with forgiveness is because we fail to grasp the weight of forgiveness in our life. Because we don't see ourselves as the broken. We don't see ourselves as the hurting. We don't see ourselves as the one who is in need of a Savior. Because we've gotten pretty good at trying to save ourselves. God comes along. And the same message he began in the beginning. He continues to yell from the rooftops Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Word perfectly pointed to Jesus. And Jesus perfectly pointed to the Father. When it comes to forgiveness, you must understand, death always precedes resurrection. And forgiveness is the only way to move from one to the other. So we come to the table of the Lord. It is a table... Prepared for you, for those who have been here often and those who have not been here long, is a table formed by forgiveness, a table that invites you to come to the feast, is a table that forms us in the image of Jesus, our Savior.